Well, today marks the 23rd anniversary of Hope Bible Church, originally named Grace Discipleship Church for the first two years. Do you know the story of Hope Bible Church? There is a story to be told, a grand story of God's work of grace through his powerful word. It is the story of a vision for a biblical church in Maryland, first to plant, then to grow up, and then God willing to impact other churches and fan the flames of a movement of expository-like churches who would boldly and truthfully proclaim God's word to be a light in this dark world. It is the story of people putting faith in God to do something that on paper made little sense, but that God moved or stirred in our hearts to do. As you listen, I believe there are lessons for all of us Throughout the history of the church, we learn applications. And today, if you indulge me with a little more time than usual, and trust me, I cut out a whole bunch of stuff, rather than our usual exposition of a passage of Scripture, I want to tell that story, for I know it will build your faith and it will challenge all of us to be true to our calling as believers in the Lord Jesus. We are a word-driven, dynamic body church. We are a conservative, evangelical church. But how did we become that way and why? If you're newer to Hope Bible Church, you may have heard little snippets of it. Today, you're going to hear an overarching account as it's unfolded over time. The story is real, and it demonstrates that faith can turn to fruition Not so much because of us, but because God is faithful to his promises. I want to tell this faith-building story by taking you through the stages of the church and telling it as if it was a human being that went through the normal steps of maturity. I want to tell about key events and key movements and a few of the people, though I cannot mention, of course, all of the people that have helped So we're going to go through the stages of human development, five stages that we've gone through so far, starting with what we'll call the pregnancy stage, or if you like, the visionary stage. And to tell that part of the story, I have to talk a little bit about how God developed my understanding of a local church and what should be in a local church. I was saved when I was 18 years old as a freshman in college. And in my earliest Christian years, I learned a lot of theological foundations. I got opportunities to minister on the campus and to find out what good Christian fellowship was about. Like many of you, after getting saved, my whole world was changed and my mind was reshaped. Literally, truth exploded in my mind and showed me what life was truly about. However, since I was saved in a parachurch organization on a campus... It was called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It was the Frostburg campus here in Maryland. And since I did not grow up in a biblical church, I really did not know what kind of a church we should join or get involved in. As I grew in convictions about the Bible and its authority and centrality and everything we did, and after marrying Susan and graduating from college, we joined what we then considered to be a strong conservative evangelical church. Bible Church, and we got heavily involved. We got involved in Christian education, in evangelism, in Bible studies, and a whole variety of ministries. If you know me and my energy, I was literally involved in 12 ministries at a time. And as we grew as a family and got to know other families in the church, we saw that some of these were precious and dear families committed to the Lord, but by and large, a lot of the families of the church were quite worldly in their thinking. And they did not really understand the Christian doctrines all that well or live it consistently. Over a few years, as I thought about the church that I loved, I traced the problem from sort of the ground up, working a lot with children and with their parents and looking at the influences on them, and traced the problem in the church back to the pulpit, the pulpit in the church. The pulpit was not a false pulpit. But the pulpit was not truly expositional or all that forceful. And most of the people, and even 
the church staff and some of the elders and other leaders were not truly molded in their thinking by theology and by scripture. And that lack of strong biblical preaching right up there at the top had a trickle-down negative effect. It allowed other things to take the place. People were driven by human philosophy and psychology, and it guided them and guided how they did their ministries, whether it was family ministries or counseling ministries or whatever. By then, I had already been to a seminary, and I'd received a master's degree in theology. I'd already been introduced to Dr. John MacArthur's ministries, his uh, sermons, a lot of them, and reading his books. And so when I finally realized God's call into the pastorate, I knew I needed to be trained at a school that would consistently apply the Bible theology that we learned and treasured into the life and ministry of both family and church. So we appealed to many, many friends for support. Actually, we got support from over 100 families. And then we packed up and we moved to a place where we knew nobody, and that's Los Angeles, to go to Dr. MacArthur's The Master's Seminary in order to learn. There we experienced not only a seminary, but life in a church that let the Bible form how they did everything, all of the ministries, whether it was family ministry or counseling or preaching or youth ministry. It was amazing watching the youth sit for 45 minutes in their youth meeting and take notes on expository sermons or missions or evangelism or um, those with special needs sitting around in a special um, Sunday school class and still following the same study of Scripture. It was amazing. It was really transforming. It was not that this church and seminary were perfect. God knows there is no such a thing. It was that after being a part of some dozen churches by then in my Christian life, I finally witnessed a local church that was at least aimed in the right direction, and I didn't even know what that direction should be. But I did know this, you'll never hit the right target if you don't know where to aim. So I was hoping in seminary to graduate and become an associate pastor anywhere in the whole wide world except in a place called Maryland. But making a very long story short, I was convinced by God to return to Maryland and plant a similar type of biblical church. I contacted Alan Plumley, whom you know and whom I knew well at that time. And from our joint ministry in our previous church, I knew that he had strong convictions about the family and would complement my convictions about the church. Also then contacted other friends, sent out an invitation letter to several dozen. They were gathered to a meeting in Maryland to see who would be inspired to join the church plant. And the report that Alan sent back to me after the meeting was something like this. Well, Tom, the bad news is very few are interested in the church plant. The good news is that if it happens, we will know that God did it. What ensued was the start of a very small core group led by Alan with the Zenders at that time and two other families. They listened to cassette tapes, that dates me a little bit there, um, over about six months that I sent from California to try to train everyone into the kind of church we wanted to plant. Having been ordained to full-time gospel ministry through the help and the guidance and teaching of a fellowship of churches, about 700 churches nationwide called IFCA International, and having been an associate pastor in Congregational Church of Los Angeles, I was hoping for support from the IFCA group of churches for this church plant. I laid out my plans for the church, but the IFCA here on the East Coast was nothing at all like it is in the Midwest and as large as it is on the West Coast, and that support we hoped for never materialized. Nevertheless, we took a huge step of faith, inspired by God's Word burning in our hearts, I knew it was in my heart, without hardly anything in our savings account, after you've been a Christian school teacher for years and then been in seminary, you know you don't save money. We rented a U-Haul and we crossed the country again in the dead of summer, arrived back 
of all places in Maryland at our new rental home. And guess where it was? It was right here in Columbia, Maryland, as the crow flies not more than a mile or two from this very spot right here in Owen Brown next to Snowden River Parkway. This was our target area from the beginning, and God knew that. The core group had worked tirelessly, tirelessly to remodel a small house for my family, and those days and nights and hours of home remodeling showed great commitment and built relationships as they prepared working together as a church body. And that brings us to the second stage, what we'll call the infant or toddler stage. And this was from the summer of 1997 through uh, 1999, two years. Our birthday as a church was Sunday, July 13, 1997. We met as a church on Main Street in Laurel, right next to the railroad tracks. And yes, I had to pause a few times preaching to let the train go by. It was a small but an adequate facility that offered, was offered to us free of charge by Robin Zender's parents. That Sunday morning, some of our friends, friends of the church, visited in order to rejoice with us in the founding of a new church, along with the founding members, who were 10 adults and 14 children, 24 people in all, dedicating the church to God's glory. We preached, read scripture, prayed, sang, gave thanks. I laid hands on Alan to appoint him as an elder, and that day was born a church with a multiple elder leadership. We do have pictures of that memorable day, and we have many, many pictures after that. The kids are kind of fun to, you know, to watch and see how they develop through the years. They were obviously much smaller. To give you a hint, Emily Zender, I think, was our eldest child, and she was 14. Hannah Leek was nine, as was Trevor Plumley, a cute bunch of kids whom God sovereignly placed in a church plant. They themselves would incubate there, and God would use them later in the development of our church. I remember Carol Plumley commenting on that day that there was a sense of history being made, and that was the feel that we had in the room. This baby stage was a time of close-knit relationships when everybody knew everybody. If you missed church, you got not one, not two, but three phone calls. Where were you? Are you sick? Are you okay? It was just that kind of an environment. Fellowship was emphasized by virtue of Sunday lunches. Every week we had fellowship, enjoying each other, but it was more than about the fun times. Fellowship meant that we were not going to be ingrown as families. We were going to let the other families of the church impact us and mold us. In other words, Proverbs 27:17, iron sharpens iron. There was a lot of meeting in each other's homes for Bible study, a lot of growing in our relationships where we really felt like a family. Two months later, Ross and Becky Levin, our neighbors in California, surprisingly and probably in part due to the prayers of our youngest daughter, Faith, joined us in the church plant. They crossed the country to help us with the church plant. At that time, Mallory was two and Ross had no gray hair. Also, my mother, uh, Lana Leek, started coming from a 2,000-plus member church to our tiny little church, and she supported the church. Ministry-wise, it was a time when members did whatever was needed to be done. They were not necessarily good at what they were asked to do, but they wore multiple hats because there were multiple needs and there was nobody else to do it. It was also a time of many outreaches and constant evangelism and knocking on hundreds of doors, offering neighborhood dessert socials. We had no budget for evangelism. We just did what we could. At the same time, visitors tended not to come back a second time. In fact, there was a stretch of months on end where we didn't have one visitor. But we remained hopeful. People did not just give offerings to the church. They gave sacrificially. They gave up what would have ended up being their vacations and things like that. And the Leek family lived about as lean as we could. There was only one staff. It was me. I worked 80 to 100 hours a week, week after week. 
My wife was my right arm, and our children were all heavily involved in ministry. In fact, all of the children in all the families were. It was also a time of intense prayer, mixed with doubting, at least doubting on my part. It seemed that, unlike the West Coast, here on the East Coast, just offering biblical preaching and discipleship was not enough to draw anybody. Nobody even knew we existed. We had no budget for advertising. It quickly became obvious how difficult this was going to be. We were trying to plant a church without a mother church, without a fellowship of churches, without even people with enough experience. No other master's churches were in the area to fellowship with. The majority of people who joined over the first two years really came for other reasons. They liked a small church. They had ulterior motives. They were really not buying into the vision for the church. We learned to beware of those who can't get along in another church and all of a sudden show up at your church. There's a reason for that. Some who attended had severe counseling needs and were not well suited for helping us with the work ahead of us. Some felt more comfortable if the church remained small. They just wanted a nice little place for their family, but had no vision of building the kingdom of God. I thought several times that we were going to end up going back to California to the Filipino church where I had been an associate pastor and give up this church plant idea. I reminded everyone several times, did you know 50% of church plants fail? They don't make it. They end up closing their doors, and one day Robin pulled me aside and said, if you don't believe, how are the rest of us going to believe? Well, the pastor was duly rebuked. So we all persevered, mostly in the fear of God. We knew he wanted it. We wanted to see what he would do. It was a time of firsts, our first baptism, the first child born in the church, our first worship service, first small groups, first outreaches, the birth of the women's ministry, the first ladies' breakfast was at my mother's home in Bethesda, Maryland, great time of fellowship and food and where she demonstrated how to be generous in hospitality towards others. It was a time of the birth of leadership training and our first elders' meetings, and at that time we had no deacons. From the beginning, we manifested the distinct characteristics that we had learned at the Master's Seminary, expository preaching, as 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2, verse 2 says, preach the word, magnifying the word of God in everything we did, such as 1 Timothy 4:13, where Paul exhorted Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. We held forth the sufficiency of Scripture, as Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 teaches. We were driven by doctrine and not by other considerations, and God worked. Mostly, he worked on us at that time, discipling our families, building our dependence on him in prayer. Then after a little over two years, one Friday evening, rather late, our family was driving home, and we went by Main Street, and we saw a big sign in the window from the city of Laurel, and the building we were in and meeting in, it said, was not suitable for meeting and was now shut down. We were shocked. We didn't know where we were going to even meet two days later. The next day, Saturday, we did everything we could to talk with the city of Laurel officials, even asking them, just give us one more Sunday there. After all, we've been there for a hundred Sundays, and there's nothing dangerous that's there. But they were unbending. Literally booted out of our facility, God was at work. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The next day, Sunday, we met outside under a white canopy beside the Zender swimming pool. And we did the same for the next two Sundays. And God gave us perfect 70s clear weather, while during the week it poured rain, even with a tropical storm. My first words that first Sunday there were, This is not a step backward, but a step forward, but I had no idea how it would be. It was also at this time, Doug and Diane Baldrich joined our church, and a couple more families found us that said they'd been looking for us. That's how hard we were to find. And with that crisis that we faced, God moved us out of the baby stage and thrust us into third, the elementary school stage, or just call it the elementary stage. And that lasted from 1999 
until the year 2009. Roger had researched and found that Fulton Elementary School in Fulton, Maryland was available, and so we began meeting there on Sunday mornings. We thought, we, maybe we'll be here a year or two or three, but God kept us in elementary school for 10 years, so we were slow learners, I guess. At the beginning of this time, my family experienced a severe trial that affected the church as well. Due to pregnancy complications at delivery time, we almost lost Susan. She was in the critical care unit for several days, and we did literally almost lose her. But we lifted up prayer intensely for her, and the Lord restored her not only to the church but to me, for I can tell you for certain I would never have been able to do this work without her by my side. During this time, we experienced, for the first time, slow but steady growth. As we entered this period in 1999, we were still just 45 total people. Four years later, in 2003, we were around 180 people. God began to draw new folks. George Lawson brought a group from a black church who desired biblical teaching. They could not find it elsewhere. This included such people that have been faithful to the church through the years as Tony and Pam, and as we called her and still do, Mama Mildred. And then through a contact with the Baldriches, a group from a Spanish-speaking church arrived, including the Bagleys and Yolanda and the Sabbaths and Guevaras and others. We even had sermons for a while translated into Spanish because of the help of Bruce Sabbath. And then a Korean church plant that had closed up sent a few families to Hope Bible Church. In the space of two or three years, apart from any plans that we had made, God had transformed our little church into a multi-ethnic church, all unified on the teaching of Scripture. We never needed to try to be unified. We never tried to explain our backgrounds to one another or politics or have to have the meeting of minds about societal issues. There were volatile times in public during that time as well. We all were driven by the same thing, and that is we were driven by being disciples of Christ and being taught the Word of God and being shaped in our thinking by that consideration alone, and that is all that we needed. And also during this time, things began to improve. We were able to specialize a little bit more where people that were more gifted in an area could take over the ministry, and so people had to humbly back out of ministries that they had led and let other people take over. We began to multiply small groups. The youth ministry started at this time and began to grow. We had church picnics for our anniversary services outside in the summer. The children's ministry really took off as there were a number of births that occurred, and we had men's and women's retreats for the first time. Our first deacons, Roger and Ross, were appointed, and I got to officiate my first wedding, Brandon and Emily, and then many others after that, and have an impact on families, which was one of my great joys. Prayer meetings also continued. We had many that couldn't necessarily do other things, but contributed to be faithful in prayer meetings, such as Sharon Armstrong and Judy Fisher. Sadly, we also had our first church discipline, Many had never experienced that before, and I remember there was a group of uh, students from Johns Hopkins who were coming down to the church at that time, and they were kind of offended that we would actually discipline someone in church, and some of them stopped coming to the church at that time. But God blessed the cleaning of our church and purifying of our church, and we grew after that, and we all understood the seriousness of what it meant to follow Christ. We supported our first missionary, Doug Petrovich, in Russia. If that name rings a bell, it's because he's now getting to be somewhat of a well-known biblical archaeologist. We had baptisms in different locations, swimming pools in the summertime, and Faith Bible Church in Elkridge, Maryland, helped us in the colder months. We had organized local outreaches. A couple of times we set aside the entire week for a variety of creative evangelistic outreaches, kind of like sending a missions team, but right here to your own area and having a team work together. The visitor center was established in the hallway of the school, and materials were offered to newcomers with coffee and sweet treats. We taught an increasing number of biblical classes to try to train people in different areas as we gained more teachers. 
We taught everything from a survey of the scriptures to membership classes and parenting classes and apologetics and theology and books of the Bible and other things. Having already preached through 1 John and the book of Ephesians to give us a grounding and establish us, we went through books like Jude and some of the Proverbs and James chapter 1 on trials, the life of Abraham, some of the Psalms, 1 Peter, and a long, long time through the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, some people said, oh, I came to the church during Matthew, or later, 1 Corinthians. So, no, I came during 1 Corinthians. The Word of God molded us. It led us. It refined our vision. It grew us. What we did was the product of what we heard in the Word. And as we grew in size, God also met our needs. God expanded the size of the room we are in, literally the meeting room that we're in. We needed it to grow. Well, the the school was growing. They needed a larger room, and they expanded it. And uh, we didn't pay a penny for it, but we benefited from it. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, this was also a time where several families proved so faithful by having to set up and clean up every single Sunday. Imagine that. Setting up the chairs, putting out the hymnals, setting up a platform up front, setting up the children's classes, putting out the decor, the microphones, the wires, every single week, weekend, and week out for 10 years. We called them the Alpha and the Omega teams, a tremendous service to the church, demonstrating the body's love for the church. I remember one memorable day when the storage truck broke down and it was pouring rain outside. And I remember everyone having to load all of the things to set up in the minivans and in the cars as it poured down rain. And then I saw Ross and Tony and Doug and some of the other young ones literally drenched before church even started. And yet the look on their faces was they were jazzed and joyful. And I tell you, their faces told the best sermon that Sunday. Since there was no facility during the week. Almost everything else was done in our home, first in Laurel and then our home on Vista Road in Columbia. The men's and women's breakfasts were in our basement, also what we called the Saturday study seminars, our basic leadership training where we tried to train all the leaders at different levels on aspects of church ministry and theology, prayer meetings, you name it. More, speciali- more specialization of spiritual gifts continued to occur. You got to pick where you wanted to serve by then. There were the Discover Hope CDs that Steve Kirshner had, the library that Becky and later the Zigglers gave. God gathered new workers to take over new ministries. Most of these people have come in the church and have already left. Some of them left a long time ago. I could not possibly list all of their names. But God used them. And God knows what they did, and God will reward them, and they helped us to take a step and move the church along the way. We were able to send George Lawson to the Master's Seminary, pray for him, and get behind him, and help Rod Montgomery to be attending Capital Bible Seminary as well. This was also the time that we began to face budget issues. Um, We always didn't have a lot of money, but now how are we going to allocate the funds How are we going to move to the next step became an issue. How would we grow? By the end of that period, we'd grown past 200, and still we had no associate pastor. We needed to hire desperately, but we had no facility either. We had congregational meetings and prayer. We put out PowerPoint presentations. We researched rental facilities all over the greater Columbia and Laurel area. We even thought about merging with other churches that had a building but not much direction. But there were no apparent solutions. The administration of a small church is much, much greater than I think most people realize unless you've been in small business yourself. So we hired Ross, who had already been donating long hours anyway, and he made sure that all of our finances were in order. He developed Hope Book for our administration and communicative needs. Soon after that, Laura Zender went from literally being an intern in the White House under the Bush administration to being an unpaid volunteer in my basement 
And she saw that as a step up, not a step down, for she understood the value of the kingdom of God. And that allowed my wife, Susan, a little bit of a break after giving so much time in the office. Other things happened during this time, too many for me to remember. We added deacons like Doug and Tony and Steve Kirshner and Craig Fife. We added to our women teachers besides Susan, Jennifer Lawson, then Belinda, and Anne with her precepts ministry, and Susan Moraz before she had passed to go on to be with the Lord. You know we're in a very transitory region of the country. Many of the people we invested many, many hours in came and then moved away, leaving us friends in multiple states around the country and even in multiple countries. Some people who left, left poorly. Others who left, left well. And they did what our covenant said, that when we depart from this place, we will seek a church of like mind. This period ended with a group of people opposed to the idea of a senior pastor, which of course I was, and that wounded us deeply. They headed off to plant another church, ironically with one man functioning as a senior pastor, and though over time that church fizzled out. But it was a crisis, and it revealed that some things were still weak in our church, and we needed to talk them through, and so we did. It was also happened right at the time where we were presented with finally finding a somewhat affordable full-time rental facility and a lease with it. It would obligate us tremendously financially in a way we had never been obligated before. It was a huge step of faith. We didn't know how many would be influenced by the gossip and leave the church and thus affect the budget, but the elders and deacons faced that with a step of faith signed the lease, and God blessed us as we moved forward. That led into the fourth stage. We'll call them the teenage years, which were roughly from the year 2010 to the year 2017. Now, if you've ever had teenagers, you know it's a time where they're trying to begin to act like adults, but mostly failing. (laughs) So you could say, That sort of was happening at our church as well, rising up and starting to really look like some of the ministries were being well, well performed, but in some ways taking a step forward and then taking a step backwards as well. These were years where for the first time we had a full-time rental facility, and it was at Oakland Mills and uh, in the office park there. And Most of you, I think, remember that because many of you came during that time or before that time. Well, first we had to retrofit that Oakland Mills facility from a commercial shell into a church-like pattern. Brian Kim found the location for us and helped broker the deal. Kirk Guillory helped tremendously with the architectural planning and with guidance about the building during that time. Finally, the church was out of the leak's home, and I'll express my opinion that I think my wife deserves a Medal of Honor for that, to deal with over 2,000 people coming through her home, um, by people count, not 2,000 different people, uh, every single year, year in and year out, while trying to homeschool four children and keep up with her husband's boundless energy. Well, if you know Susan, you know she was, she was doing a lot, and uh, it, was a, it was a tough time for her as well. But now is the time where the congregation got to learn for the first time you have to care for a building, the responsibility of taking care of a building. Leasing Oakland Mills was a great major financial step of faith for the church, but God blessed it, and God provided the fastest numerical growth we went through as a church right at that time. Just as teens take off and grow quickly, we grew rather quickly to somewhere just over 450 by 2012. We advertised on WRBS radio after the Grace to You MacArthur program and saw some visitors come from that as well. Our ministries grew. And uh, in part, they grew because we had an adequate facility in order to allow those ministries to plan and 
place things where they needed to be placed, and people could kind of see how to move forward. I don't know what you think about the necessity of a building, but the history of our church tells us never underestimate the importance of a building to legitimize a church in a community and to allow leaders to know how to build ministries. Our missions program, which we call Spreading Hope, really grew during this time as well as we added new missionaries to our budget under the leadership of several, later also being Mike Armstrong with Hannah Leek helping out. We even sent our first missionary from our church, Steve and Lisa Reisman, to Africa. And we had our first missionary short-term trips to the Philippines and Spain. The administrative staff had to be added to as well as the needs grew. We hired Colleen, and, uh, who had been volunteering her time first, and then Karen for the office. This was the time that Hope Academy that had been planted earlier really started to take off towards the end of the time there with um, women that had worked in that ministry for a long time as it was smaller, Hong and Susan and Margot, and now younger mothers like Crystal and Hope and Emily came along and really helped it to take off. Awana, which we'd prayed about for years, started with uh, Jeff Fine leading and Bill Fry helping out. It had much potential for outreach. The youth ministry called Every Thought Captive grew under Jason's leadership uh, when he took the helm and others came around him to help as counselors as well. The Bible Institute was started during this time with uh, John Stitzinger's help, and then others came in like Sterling to help out with that, and now we have Ravi helping. Our Gamma conferences really took off and grew. They were started back in 2006, but they really grew during this time, and God had positioned this church, our church, in a way that we had prayed years before that he would use it. Finally, we were positioned as a region of like-minded churches were developing. They were looking to us for guidance and for wisdom and for encouragement. And so we were able to lead and be a catalyst in this entire region for the region of churches. There were things like trips to Israel that helped people learn scripture and inspire them. There were groups of people that I took, I think in the previous time as well, to the Shepherds Conferences in Los Angeles. Some of the men, as they got those four days of teaching, nonstop teaching, they caught even a greater vision for what the kind of church was that we wanted here in Maryland, and it really helped them to take a step forward. We added to the elder board Pastor Tony and then Pastor Rod and later Pastor David. We experimented with uh, something during our first hours called communities, which helped us to shepherd our people in some ways, but we found out the longer it went on that it didn't help so much with the unity of our church. We had our first sunrise Easter service, which was exciting. People served on cleaning teams that allowed them to own the care for the building. God added musicians, which Doug and Diane had been praying for for a long time. The website was finally improved. We had other ministries, like in the women's ministry with Pam Jolly's care for our college students. Our logo was improved. Do you think that's a small thing? But sometimes these things really help a church just kind of find itself. We finally had a permanent church sign on the road where people could find us. I used to call us the worst advertised church in the state of Maryland. Our security team was launched during that time as we heard around the country of dangerous things that were happening in different local churches. Um, the publishing of books ministry had its beginning also with kind of Mel Sergine offering his transcribing skills for our sermons. There were new small groups that later uh, were developed. Um, Henry and Thelma started one from another group and then came along the Quebecs and the Dossets and Stewarts and Rhodes and Mahoney's and others that helped fill out the church and minister and care to our people. During this time, the deacons really came into their own. We added Sean and we added Brandon and others, and they began tackling problems in the church, um, sometimes without the elders even knowing about it, and that's really how deacons are to function, and it was exciting to see that. Our women's leaders that we called women's teachers that we took through our track also were added to as well, Diane and Morag and Lisa and Debbie. And through these years, 
We had an impact, kind of a quiet thing that's happened through the years, but I think one of the more important things that God has allowed Hope Bible Church to do, and that is to have impact on young men who sense a calling to the ministry and really needed a church to guide them, realize their calling, in some places, in some cases, get behind them financially, pray for them, and in some cases actually um, send them forth to seminary. Um, Juan Moncayo, who uh, came here as a very young man, a teenager really, realized uh, his calling into the ministry, went back to his home country of Ecuador, and now is not just a missionary there, but the senior pastor of La Fuenta and one of our missionaries. Um, there was Steve Gadula who came here along with Tony and heard the uh, advertisement on the radio, and he learned a lot about ministry here and went off to the master's seminary after George had been sent there. And then there were um, local pastors who came to our Bible Institute that we were able to invest in, including a young pastor up in Pennsylvania. And um, we have now at the master's seminary a missionary, a man who wants to be a missionary to South America. And others who were, while they were here, not actually involved in our leadership program, but the way we did church and how we loved them formed their understanding of a local church. One of those is Caleb Neal in Louisville, Kentucky at the seminary there. We also saw, sadly, during this time, some of the passing away of our key members going on to be with the Lord. For them, it was a time of rejoicing. For us, it was a reminder that we're not here just to build ourselves on earth, but all of us need to have an eye on eternity. Two big steps we took during this time. One is we decided to plant another church, Baltimore Bible Church, with George Lawson as the founding pastor who by then had already graduated from seminary and was ordained to full-time gospel ministry. We gave him a a core group um, donating Uh, some dozen of our own families uh, to George, let them stay a year inside of our church. George was an elder inside of our church, and they incubated here, and then we launched them out, I believe, in 2012. Some of those who chose to join George in the church plant had had their hearts broken in a previous Bible church in Baltimore where the, the pastor had been caught in sin and not properly repented And they showed up here hurt, and now they sensed a calling to go back into Baltimore and plant a church that um, would continue to reach out uh, in the city with a burden for them. Um, We also, the other big step we took is we knew that in the office park we were in that the portion of the building next to us had already been rented out by another company, and if we were going to grow and we had several years left on the lease, the only way we could do it was to rent another building across the parking lot that we ended up calling the Annex. So we did that, and it allowed us to have some key events at the church and to grow our first hour program and uh, allowed us to continue to grow in size. One key event that we had during this time was a pastor's conference with none other than our beloved Dr. John MacArthur, who came here along with Dr. Steve Loss and two of the great preachers in our country uh, at this time, they came and uh, they ministered to over 100 local pastors on the importance of expository preaching. Again, God was using our church sort of as a catalyst to build a region of churches that were dedicated to expository preaching and other distinctives. Towards the end of this phase, we again desperately needed more than one associate pastor but still had none. But the rent for our building was becoming so excessively high year after year. And God did what those of us that stared at the numbers seemed to be an impossible answer to prayer. He got us out of two very difficult leases. Who's going to take over a difficult lease, much less two? And he got us out of both of those leases. He found a bank that was willing to finance us in this area. It's very hard to do. The elder board debated what should be our next step, hiring or more evangelism, getting on the radio, um, going out and getting a facility. It was a hard debate. We ended up hunting for a facility. We hunted everywhere. Some buildings did not allow us to grow adequately and would have quashed the whole vision of the church. 
Others were too far away, and country-like people liked it, but the more city-like people did not. Others were just too costly. They were astronomical in price. We had a stewardship campaign laid before, many of you remember, you know, here's our need. Can you donate your hours? Can you donate your money? We really need you to rise up, and people did, and some gave tremendously during that time. And it allowed us to buy this very facility that you're in, a multi-million dollar facility. As this period drew to an end, again, interestingly, but sadly, we faced having to discipline a church elder that was very unsettling to the church at large. We faced yet another critical test. Right as we were about to take another big step of faith, my how God does things. And that led us into stage number five, the stage that we're in. We are now officially young adults. Well, the church is anyway. Young adult years. These are our most recent years from 2018, roughly January, we'll call it, to uh, now, July of 2020. This is our time right here at Guilford Road in Columbia. At the beginning of 2018, for a few months, we met at Athelton High School, and we were still uh, recovering from the pain. And it's interesting that during that time, God blessed us. We grew in size, and God allowed us to heal. It was really an amazingly wonderful time at the high school. People stepped up, and they showed their commitment to the cause. The testimony to how well God's Word works inside of people, to me, was most evident during that time. When you saw people process a lot of difficult information and come out and know what was true and what was false, what was important and what was not important. Maturation on the part of a congregation is only possible because they internalize the Word of God and doctrines that stabilize and strengthen uh, Christian faith. And we saw that. It was amazing to see the philosophy of ministry working in the lives of people to give them the understanding to continue to work for God's kingdom. And we finally owned our own building after 20 years. I don't know if you remember how you felt, those of you that have had this experience, when you finally bought your first home and you realized you could put a nail in the wall and not have to describe what you were doing to anybody. Susan and I were married many, many years before we could even afford our first home. So we know when you get to that point that it is truly exciting. Well, we spent time praying over the building and lots and lots of time, yay, hundreds of hours working on this facility with Bill Waller organizing all of it, Bill Beidler doing a lot of the maintenance and too many men and women to mention who were here for dozens, if not hundreds, of hours giving their time. God even reduced the building's price by over 27% for when we first started looking at it. And again, as we responded to trial with faith, we saw new waves of people coming. We saw the greeters' ministry get even more organized and process the new people. Our leadership team, I think, now is the best we've ever had, with five elders having added Pastor Kirby and then Pastor Gay bringing their knowledge and experience and skill to our ministry and to our decision-making. And, of course, with Pastor Kirby coming, allowing us to support for the first time a full-time local evangelist that also allowed us to share fruit in another ministry. With nine dedicated deacons and six women teachers, God is working. And I think we have, although I'd have to ask Pastor Gabe, something like 15 small groups. And of course, mentioning Pastor Gabe, our first associate pastor, and I don't know if anyone rejoiced more than me, Gabe has been so faithful, a workhorse, and so helpful in many ways. We could see how it was God that orchestrated working through that selection committee that we put together from a variety of different folks in the church to identify him and, and bring him here. One thing that we had prayed for also was a radio ministry for many, many years. And during this time, Discover Hope Radio 
was launched under Dave Nixon's leadership. And we need support and help for that. Please pray for the financial support of that as we want to see the listeners support that more and the church be able to support it less. Ravi has taken over leadership of our Bible Institute and he is overwhelmed with a lot of things going on in his life. That is another crucial ministry that needs indeed more workers in it as well. And though it's the same Mid-Atlantic Bible Fellowship that became Grace Advanced Bible Fellowship, now is called the Master's Fellowship Mid-Atlantic. And always trying to stay in step and in tune with our names, with whatever is going on out in California, uh, where they lead this movement nationally. Of course, we've had VBS started with Annette's leadership, growing disciples as our first hour classes under Pastor David's help and with Elias and also Colleen putting so many hours into that. We have a new ministry with folks coming and helping our classrooms. If you'd like to do that, by the way, get involved with that. We call them our classroom assistants. And Jeff Lipko and others have been stepping forward to help the teachers not have to do anything to get their classrooms ready other than just show up and be ready to teach with a good and humble heart. Of course, the return of my pancreatic cancer happened during this time as well. The Lord allowed me to see some of the major prayer requests I've been praying for for decades and then had the return of pancreatic cancer, which we know 99% of the time results in uh, the death of the person that has that. But that also resulted in some very serious prayer meetings, 24 hours a day, seven days a week in a couple of cases. And through this, all of us have a better understanding of how we must rely on the power of God in prayer. We are all thanking God for the five-year mark that I, as a recipient of God's mercy, have had as we wait to see what is God doing. And I debate every single day, and he won't tell me what he's doing. And I guess I have to live by faith, just like you do as well, to wait to see what is he going to do. During this time, we lost my precious mom, who had been a financial support, prayer support uh, of this church. She is in her eternal home, and at least demonstrated along with Pastor Ramoser and others like Paul Bodwin um, and uh, Susan Moraz, whom we mentioned, and Miss Lily Pierce and others, how do you stay true to Christ all the way to the end? That's what we want to be, right? That's the value of watching the saints go through the veil and to the other side, although we can't watch the other side. Improvements here continue to happen. Counseling has greatly improved. There's much greater organization in our care ministry Deacons now have a new leader with Brian Wilson. Our local evangelism has got better organized with Norman Fowler. Our tech people have realized how important they are. Trevor has helped our website, Josh and Sasan and Rashawn and Kara and others with a sound system. Desmond with the online streaming and Sean Lynch with all he does with the phones and Wi-Fi. And I'm sure I've missed someone in all of that that's been critical to all of us soon, God willing. Our resource center will finally open and our library that we've been praying about for years. We have added teachers to growing disciples through the years like Larry and Elias. Elias to our worship leadership. Um, Chris has honed our usher teams after Steve Brown had served to help with that. Our men's ministry has new men stepping up like Walter and Sasan and Danny Tyler and, and others that are helping out with that and helping Steve, and we have new help in the office as well from volunteers, new tutors in Hope Academy and administrative help with Hope Academy. This year has had some of our strongest challenges, and as I see you sitting out there today with a mask on, and you guys are not anywhere near as loud as you used to be when I preached, by the way, and I'm blaming that on the masks, but... uh, Watching you out there, we've had not just my cancer, but piled on top of this, this virus that I think when we all thought started might last a month or two, and now look how it's impacting us. And the Lord gave us John Stitz and uh, other people with an understanding about how to guide us through such a strange time as this, and now dealing with society's unrest, and that unsettles many of us for different reasons. We see injustice, and we want and wish we could make that 
uh, perfect, but we can't. We also worry about uh, forces and politics that may, for the first time, make it uh, hard to even preach against homosexuality or things like that. And we realize that we may be in the time where the church in America actually gets persecuted. Well, brothers and sisters, this is not the full history. There are many more people, and my apologies to those that I failed to mention. God willing, one day, someone will write it all out. There have been many people doing many different ministries, and their names were not mentioned. Maybe it'll not only be written out, but we can have pictures being taken, because I know there are thousands and thousands of pictures of our church from the very first day onward that have been taken. I suppose I could talk here for hours more about all that God has done and the contribution of some folks that have long moved on to other parts of the country. But as you have heard this history today, my prayer is that it impacts you in some way, maybe to dedicate yourself to giving, to realize that difficult times for the church is nothing new. Maybe it would allow you to get off of the couch and volunteer more time to realize life is short and that you're wasting time playing games at home. Maybe it will help you to understand never to say it can't be done because we don't have enough resources. Because God has already done it when there were not enough resources. I hope it will help our young people to understand that all of us old folks didn't fight all those years to not have you rise up at this time and bring your energy and not not a new direction for the church, but new ideas and new vigor. My greatest concern for the future is that the zeal for the vision of this church will fizzle out among the church members as leaders focus on lesser important things. Alan warned us through the years that a movement can eventually turn into a stale or dead monument. I hope you can see that this is not something we want to have happen. Rather, we want you to see the great promise that lies ahead of you. Truly, the fruit of this church, if the Lord Jesus tarries in heaven, hasn't even been halfway reached. There is so much more that you can do, either by getting involved and helping other people. And it doesn't have to be a formal ministry. So many have been contributing to the church for years and their name was not given, but they just help people and come alongside people and serve them and give them a ride or help them in some other way. And they're valuable to the life and the dynamic of a word-driven dynamic church. And if you're young, there's so much that you can do. And if you're new, there's so much that you can do. And if you're old and you're not satisfied with what you're doing, there are things you can change. There's great promise ahead. I hope you see the need to continue to give so we can finally fill out our pastoral staff, because there is need for that as well. Who could, people that can harness our volunteers and organize them and train them and then lead them well. Pray about your giving and pray about the future of this church. With a very sick senior pastor and so little staff, on paper, this church should have died out a long time ago. But God formed this church. God matured this church by his word. He gets the credit, and the vehicle was the Word of God as the Spirit of God used him, used it. People stepped up in faith. People made decisions by faith at critical times. Brothers and sisters, that is the true story of Hope Bible Church. Don't miss it. In the midst of confused times in the world, in a self-righteous society, we have the only message that can help anybody out there or secure their hope for the future. We are the hope of our community. We hold forth the word of God, and that is why God placed us here. Amen? Amen. Father God, all the glory and applause is for you. We love you, Heavenly Father. And we know, as my mother wrote, that you don't need us, but we couldn't take a breath without you. Praise and honor and glory to you and to the Lord Jesus Christ 
and to the doctrines of Christ out of which we must never depart, and to your Spirit who equips us and guides us and empowers us every day. Thank you for the word that has driven this church, and thank you for the dynamic of love that we have seen through 23 years. May it increase, we pray, Father, to your glory. Be with your saints this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.